You know, radical prayer <clears throat> is what ought to describe all of us, and I suspect it doesn't describe too many of us in here. Prayer is a discipline, I think, that's, that's hard to develop. But it's the heartbeat of our relationship with God. Paul wrote to the Christians at Thessalonica, and he said, pray without ceasing. In other words, live in an attitude of prayer. Be ready at any moment to pray. It doesn't mean you have to spend all your time in prayer. It just means living with that expectation that God is ready to hear when you pray. Oh, great, some of you are thinking. This is going to be one of those super holy sermons for the spiritual elite, and I'm not one of those. I just best not listen. Well, if that's what you think, maybe then this sermon is for you because prayer isn't super holy, and it's not for the spiritual elite. It's for every one of us in this room. And if we can change that perspective, then maybe prayer will become a vital part of who we are. S.D. Gordon wrote this. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray before you have prayed. What I can't do in this sermon this morning is to cover all the issues of prayer. Today I don't have time to deal with the questions of why on occasion does it seem that our prayers go unanswered. That's a whole other sermon that someday we'll take a look at. But suffice it to say, Jesus didn't get a yes to every one of his prayers prayed. And if Jesus, the very Son of God, didn't get a yes to all of his prayers, then who are we to think that we should get a yes to all of ours? You know, I can't see one second beyond this moment. You can't either. And so when I pray, I don't have the big picture in mind. So I'm content to leave the big picture with the hands of God and to know that when he says no to the prayers that I pray, he does so because that answer is what's best for me. Don't always like it. But I have to be content with the fact that God knows me better than I know myself and that when he says no, there's a better reason than my yes. So what is prayer? So what I want to do this morning? Well, really, I want us to get past, I don't think too many of us in this room question the importance of prayer. I, I think we just don't do it. I, I'm not worried about answering all the questions. I'm, I'm just concerned this morning about trying to motivate us to do it. What is this thing we call prayer? Well, very simply, it's communicating with God. That, that's the bottom line. Communicating with God involves words and thoughts and feelings intonations, expressions, intellect, will, reason, intention, motive, passion, and heart. Communication is vital to any lasting relationship. When I communicate with Elsie, I use more than just words. There is feeling, intonation, reason, heart, and probably not nearly as much intellect as she would like. But you see, we communicate with all these different things. When parents communicate with kids, sometimes they don't even use words. They just use expressions, the look. Did you ever get the look when you were a kid? Didn't have to say a word, but it was firmly communicated what was intended. I've thought about the fact that uh, since I preach from a manuscript, instead of taking this 25 minutes at the end of the service, I could just distribute sermon manuscripts to every one of you. We could go home a half an hour earlier, and most of you would be really happy. But there is something that happens when the word is spoken. 
Sometimes there are feelings and intentions and motivations and passions that cannot be communicated with mere words on a page. There are times on a Sunday morning after I have preached a message to the first service crowd that I'll go back to my office and I'll scratch out certain things and I'll rewrite certain things with my deepest apologies to the first service crowd who gets the rough draft, it appears, because for all of the preparation, something that looks good on paper doesn't always sound right when it comes out. That's one of the reasons why I resist dealing with important concerns or sensitive issues in emails. An email is just typed words on a computer screen, and since most of us hastily compose our emails you don't get feeling, you don't get intention, you don't get perspective, all you get are words. And sometimes our hastily composed emails can be interpreted in more than one way. And when it's interpreted the wrong way, it can have disastrous results. If you've got something important to deal with somebody, do it face to face where you can see the heart and you can feel the warmth and you can understand the passion behind it. You see, God created us with the ability to communicate in a variety of ways. Prisoners of war held captive and isolated in a prison learned how to communicate with other prisoners there that they could not see by tapping on the floor or sending other kinds of ingenious signals. Even the animal kingdom communicates in a variety of ways. Researchers are learning more about the communication skills of the corvid family of birds, which includes crows, ravens, jays, and others from that family. Did you know that this particular species of birds is considered the most intelligent of the bird family. And they are among the most intelligent of all animals, having demonstrated self-awareness in mirror tests and tool-making ability. These birds make and use tools, skills until recently regarded solely as the province of human beings and a few other higher mammals. Their total brain-to-body mass ratio is equal to that of the great apes and only slightly lower than we human beings. A couple of years ago, when Elsie and I were visiting Yellowstone, one of the park rangers told us that the ravens had learned how to partner with the wolves in Yellowstone. Now, a raven is, is not a bird of prey. Its beak is not such that it can tear into meat. But it is, a, it is a scavenger bird. But since they can't make the attack, but they know the wolves can, they've worked out this partnership where the ravens will locate the weakest among the prey. They will signal to the wolves, and the wolves will come and attack, and then the wolves eat what they want, and they leave the carcass and the carrion for the ravens to enjoy. Amazing. People, if ravens and wolves can communicate to the mutual benefit of one another, then don't you think we can find a way to make time to communicate with the God of the universe, the creator of all that we know, who loves you more than life itself and wants to have a personal relationship with you. And he has enabled us to communicate with him. So what's stopping us? Well, I'll tell you, there are some hindrances that we've allowed to creep into our life that we need to start avoiding. And these hindrances to avoid begin with our excuses. 
I don't have time to pray. I don't know how to pray. I don't deserve to be heard when I pray. Now, those are just lame excuses, folks. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've used every one of them as an excuse in my own life. And I suspect most of you have too. You see, we do have time. We just choose to do something else with our time rather than pray. We, we do things that we feel are more important, and, and frankly, I'm not sure there is anything more important. And we do know how. How many of you in here can talk? All right, you're there. You got it. You know how. It just starts with talking to God. It's that simple. And you're right about the third one, and that is you don't deserve to be heard, and I don't either. None of us do, but it's never about us being deserving. You cannot visit the queen at Buckingham's palace without a special invitation from her. But who among us would suggest that we deserve such an invitation? And yet the king of the universe has extended an invitation to us to come into his heavenly palace through prayer. You don't need a special code, formula, invitation, username, or password. You just need to talk to him from the heart. And what's more, it's instant. I'm just amazed. When I pray, God hears instantly. Do you know, if we send a signal from earth to the outer edges of the universe as we know it, you know, to the outer edges that we can see, past the last galaxy and to, to that outer edge. Do you know how long that message traveling at the speed of light would take to get to the outer edges of the universe? At the speed of light, it would take 15 billion years if we send a message today. And yet when you pray, God hears you instantly. Isn't that, isn't that fabulous? It's just awesome that God does that. So folks, no more excuses. No more excuses. Get rid of the excuses that hinder you from praying. Sometimes I think we are hindered by our own misconceived ideas, these, these misconceptions that we want to apply to God that don't apply to God. And the reason we want to apply them to Him is because they are our human frailties. When God is called the Ancient of Days in Scripture, it is not to suggest, as we often imagine, that God is somehow borderline senile. Whenever God is pictured in caricature form, like in the comic strips, how does he always look? Looks older than old, doesn't he? Why do we do that? It's because that's what happens to us. With the passing of years, we grow older, we turn gray, then white, and sometimes we become cantankerous with our age, and our memories weaken, and we lose our sharpness. As we grow older, memory storage is not the problem, it's memory retrieval that's the problem. And we want to make God the same way because that's how we relate to the passing of years. But God isn't that way. You know you're growing older when there's nothing left for you to learn the hard way. You know you're growing older when the things you buy now won't wear out before you do. You know you're growing older when, the secrets, when your secrets are safe with your friends because <laughs> they can't remember your secrets. You know you're growing older when kidnappers are no longer interested in you. You know you're growing older when an, a night out is sitting on the patio. And you know you're growing older when somebody compliments you on your alligator shoes and then realizes you're barefoot. 
Now, why do we want to take all of that and voice that upon God? Is God old? No, he's not old. He's everlasting, but he isn't old. He's from age to age the same, but that doesn't make him ancient. It makes him ageless. He created time for us, but he's not bound by the confines of time and space. Is God old-fashioned? No, not as we use the term at all. As a matter of fact, I think if Jesus had come in the 21st century as opposed to that first century, I believe that he would use every available resource of our technologically driven culture to communicate the grace of God. God is not locked into a particular time period of history as if one is more pure than another. Unlike sectarian groups that believe God is exclusive to one race or to one culture, God is not limited to a particular earthly locality, to an ethnic group, to a time period of history, or to a particular language. God is not limited or old-fashioned like we are. Is God forgetful? No. God doesn't ever suffer from dementia. He never forgets who you are, and what's more, he never confuses you with somebody else that's sort of like you or looks like you. Even when you forget him, he remembers you well. The only thing God ever forgets is our confessed sin when he washes it away. Is God easily distracted? No, not at all. I am, but God isn't. Can you ever even begin to fathom the barrage of words that come to the ears of God every moment as literally thousands and millions of people are praying to him? If, if only 1%, if only 1% of the world's population is praying to God at the same time, that's still 70 million people praying all at once. That would be more than everyone in Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Missouri, Kentucky, and Tennessee all praying at the very same moment. And yet when I pray to God, I feel as if I'm the only one praying and that I have God's full attention. Because you see, I think I do. I think you do when you pray. If God is God, he is capable of giving everybody who prays at the same time his full attention. Isn't that incredible? God is never distracted. And God is never manipulated either. You see, we get manipulative with our prayers, and that's one of the things that hinders us, I believe, one of those things we need to learn how to avoid. I'm amazed at how quickly kids learn how to begin manipulating others to get their way. When his grandmother arrived a few days early for his birthday party, Jason volunteered to pray before dinner that night. And after a brief thanking of God for the food, Jason ratcheted up his voice several volumes and then began to go through a list of all the things he wanted for his birthday. Finally, he said, amen. His dad, with a frown, whispered in his ear, Jason, you don't have to pray so loud. God isn't deaf, to which Jason said, I know God isn't deaf, but Grandma is. As God's spiritual children, we often try to manipulate God as if he can't see through the ruse. In our efforts to get what we want, we sometimes treat God like Jason treated Grandma. 
We try to use the right words. We say it real loud. We appear extra contrite. Maybe we throw in a tear or two thinking that, oh, if God sees a tear, he'll be moved to action. But don't try it. God knows you better than you know yourself. And if you've got an attitude of manipulation, he's going to know that before you even open your mouth. Those are the things that we need to avoid in prayer. Now, I think when it comes to praying, there are some tools that help us to become better prayers. Uh, if you haven't read a book on prayer for a while, you might try starting there. I know Janet in the bookstore here has several different options for you with regard to prayer. Here's just a few good ones. Uh, prayer by Philip Yancey. Praying by J.I. Packer. Prayer and Sanctuary of the Soul, both written by Richard J. Foster, just to name a few. You can get those through the bookstore and others. And Janet may have some better recommendations given what your struggle in your prayer life happens to be. Here's something that I think is very helpful as well. And that is you can buy one of these in the bookstore. It's just real simple. It's not expensive. It's, it's a prayer journal. You can make your own if you want to, but they're available back here. And there's, there's pages with that are lined and, and prepared for you to put down your requests, or when somebody says, will you pray about this in my life? And you say, sure, I'll be glad to pray with you. And then 30 minutes later, you've forgotten all about that conversation. You never pray for that person unless you get it written down. If you're like me, I'll forget. But if I write it down, then it's there. Sometimes you can write down your answers to prayer. If God answers a prayer, write it down and put the date there. And you can go back and read how God is working in your life if you have a prayer journal. Now, I don't, I don't know about you either, but sometimes when I pray, I find myself, you know, just my mind going in a gazillion different ways. I can be five seconds into a prayer, and all of a sudden my mind is down some other kind of a rabbit trail, some errand I have to do, something I've got to get done. Then all of a sudden it dawns on me, oh, 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 I'm in prayer. And you go back and you start all over again. Now, one of the things I think helps with that, if you have a distracted mind like that, write your prayers. I don't get nearly as distracted as I'm writing out a prayer as if I've got my eyes closed and I'm just voicing my prayers mentally to God or speak them out loud. Sometimes it's a lot less, uh, it's a lot harder to be distracted if you're praying out loud. We're working on uh, creating around here some prayer walks with the springtime on us and this beautiful weather and people wanting to get out and walk and exercise. Here's a great way for you to combine two things, the prayers and some exercise. Now, at the end of your row, and I'm not sure which end it may be, but some, whoever's on the end, check, all right? Take this um, group of papers and hand, take one of them and then pass it down. This is just a small prayer guide with all kinds of ideas and thoughts, how to log your prayers. And then on the inside, there is a, a picture, an aerial view picture of the church property uh, with these prayer places noted all around. And we have these numbers printed on the, uh, the parking lot asphalt. And so you can start where number one is. There will be prayer sheets available at the office for you. And we're uh, hoping to have them outside door number one so that you can pick one up. And you can start at spot one, walk the perimeter of the parking lot and stop at those places and pray for the things that are on the list. And uh, a little bit later in April, our men's ministry is going to be installing some benches along the walking path that goes through the upper property of, uh, of the church here. And so you'll be able to walk that path and sit down on a bench and meditate and pray. Uh, and I think it's just another good way to uh, focus on the importance of prayer. We have some prayer events coming up. Uh, the first one is actually next Sunday evening. We're going to have a, just a prayer evening. 
uh, service about 45 minutes long. Now, it won't just be one solid prayer. We're going to do a variety of things, but the focus is all about prayer. We're going to do that about six times this year in our 50th year, and we would encourage you to come next Sunday night, April the 1st, and we'll tell you more about that next Sunday morning too. But put that on your calendar, will you please? And then we would really like it if you would log your prayers. And, and so I know what some of you are thinking, and I, and I get this. Well, why, why do I need to log my prayers? Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and close the door so that nobody can tell when you're praying. Why do I want to log my hours of prayer? It's not so that we have anybody or anything to brag about. It's so that we can celebrate what God is doing through the prayer lives of those of us who are in this congregation. And you say, well, I don't know how to log it on. Okay, well, let's go through a little quick lesson here. If you go to the church website, www.socc.org, and go down here in the kind of the right-hand corner, click on that 50th year uh, challenge, and then on that page, click on where it says track your hours, and then scroll down that page to where you can see log it. And you just click on log it, hours spent in prayer, fill in your name if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Put in your email address there and then scroll down the page and you can enter what you've been doing. Um, you can uh, locate the hours uh, that you've served and you can locate the hours time spent in prayer and you can actually check no thanks, track my hours but leave me off the map. I mean, there's all kinds of things. We just wanna be able to celebrate at the end of the year what we've done together as a congregation. So your service and your hours of prayer, get in the habit of logging. You say, I don't wanna do that, but I would like for, to, to be a part of this big celebration. There are kind of black triangular shaped boxes around the building, uh, and, and if you'll just take out one of those little cards, fill out the information, drop it in the box, we'll log it in for you. Uh, Elsie is heading up our 50th anniversary year prayer ministry. So if you've got an idea or something in your prayer life that's worked really well, I know she would be interested in hearing from you. So look for her around the building and to share your ideas or ask your questions of her. Uh, and, and she'll be glad to help you in any way to advance your prayer time and your prayer life during this 50 years. One other thing I want you to see, and that is that there are attitudes that God calls us to embrace when we come in prayer. Uh, there are some proper attitudes with which to pray. And the first one is simply like this, be genuine with God when you pray. Becoming a grandfather has reminded me of the sincerity of little children. When they speak, they don't hide their feelings or disguise their thoughts. They can be sincerely blunt, but in a way that is innocently endearing. Ask a little child his or her opinion on anything and you'll get an honest, genuine answer. I think that's the very reason Jesus said, Unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Until we develop that genuine, sincere, innocent attitude before God, we're not able to get very far with our prayers. And you see, it's part of God's nature to want to help us. But God wants it to be our nature to be sincere when we ask. So when you pray, take off your mask, put away your fancy words and your extra holy tone, and just be yourself before God. Come as you are, messy, stumbling over your words, disorganized in your thoughts. It's okay. God can sort it all out. And then when you pray, understand the heart of God and what God wants in your prayers. Uh, Philip Yancey wrote this. He said, prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. 
Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You see, God wants us to understand that forgiving someone else is really a prerequisite before coming to him in prayer. God doesn't want us to come with our hearts filled with grudges against others. Prayer is the act, remember, of seeing reality from God's point of view. Here's another point of view. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and, and they'll seek my face, and they'll turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You see, God wants us to come with a repentant heart. He wants us to seek him out, to be convicted about what we've done wrong. He's willing and ready to forgive if we will be genuine in seeking his way, his face, his principles, if we come repentant. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, this is what we read. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask, ask, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. God wants us to feel a sense of burden for those who need to know Jesus Christ. Not just to pray for them, but to pray that other believers will be brought into their circle of influence so that through those believers they might come to know Christ. This then is the attitude that God expects of us when we come to him in prayer. God wants my heart empty of revenge. He wants my will totally surrendered to his will, and he wants my soul burdened for those who need to find Jesus Christ. That's praying through the eyes and the heart of the Father. Last thing, God wants this attitude of trust when you pray. God is the perfect Father, which means he is reliable. He can be counted upon. He's dependable. He is worthy of our trust. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from the Father who does not change like shifting shadows. Sometimes we earthly fathers are inconsistent. We're undependable. And when we do that all the time, we create insecure children. But God is always consistent, always reliable, always dependable. God is never moody. God never has a bad hair day. God never wakes up grouchy. He can always be trusted to do what is best in our lives. So he says, trust me. I treasure that picture of Jesus in the garden the night before the cross when Jesus prays and says, Abba, Father. Ah, I, I, that, that tender moment when Jesus says, Dad, Daddy, I just need your help. I'm, I, I'm here to tell you, when my granddaughter Addie says, Da, Da, come here, I go running. Because when I hear that term that she calls me, that that's her own term for me, it just grabs my heart. When you come to God and you treat him as some far off on the edge of the universe deity that has no real connection with us. Prayer is awkward. But when you come to him and you say, Dad, 
I need you. With that kind of trust, God comes running to hear us with open arms. That's why prayer is so important. Do you trust him? Remember how the Sermon on the Mount ends? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's God's invitation to say, trust me. You come to me first and I'll take care of everything. I can't think of a better way to end this sermon on prayer than by just spending a little time in prayer. So I just want you to take a moment, try to clear your mind, try not to get distracted, and just pray silently. Now realize, there's probably about a thousand different people in this room. All of us are gonna be praying together, but God will sort it out. And you'll feel that when you're praying that you are his sole participant. So whatever it is on your heart, take it to the Father, our Father, our Dad, and trust him to give you the right answer.